We're on lesson eight. This is week nine. Uh, I think the last week of SBI is November 30th. If, is that a Thursday? Yeah, it's not. Uh, well, maybe, yeah, maybe it's the week before that then. No, it is the 30th. It is Wednesday night the 30th. Okay. So we won't have class Thanksgiving week, but we'll come back one week after Thanksgiving to finish up. So this is week nine, lesson eight, and I think of what will end up being 13. Uh, I have a 14th if we can get to it, but if not, that's okay. But this lesson, we're going to talk about what our role is in the body. If you were to summarize the main idea or the main topic of this newness of life class, what would you say that it's about? Christian walk. Christian walk. That is, that is a general over overarching theme, but let's pull down, go down a little bit even closer in that. What would you say it's about? Participation. Participation in the in our Christian life. Yeah, I think that's that's another element of it. But what we've been focused on is our identity, who we are in Christ. If you guys remember in week one, we started talking about what changes, what changes in the life of a believer. What is a believer composed of? Like what makes it, what, what are we made of? And we talked about having a body and a soul and spirit and flesh and conscience and uh, the Holy Spirit, all that stuff. And we started to look at what things passed away when we put our faith in Christ and what new things have come. And today, one of the things that we get along with the Spirit is a gift, at least one. And since this is a class about identity, and since it's important that you know how you're positioned in Christ and who you are in Christ, it's just equally as important to know what your role is in Christ. Because he's put you in this body. Uh, and when I say this body, he's put you in a group of believers. Uh, we don't know all the believers in the world, but he does have us situated in this group. Uh, whether you say it's the Stillwater Bible body, the Stillwater community body, whatever it is, you are in a body of believers, and you get a role. Like Paige said, you get to participate in that role. Uh, and so how do we do that? Because that's where really the rubber meets the road. Because I am a new creation in Christ, because I have had all these changes that have come about, because I'm not who I used to be, what do I do? And how do I go about serving? Well, the Lord is taking care of that for you by giving you at least one spiritual gift to serve in the body. Uh, I want to give this... Um, I always seem to give caveats or asterisks, but it is important to talk about spiritual gifts. Because they're spiritual, they're often neglected. And they sound, uh, they sound maybe not tangible or not real and more of a concept. It's not a concept. It is an actual thing that you are given a gift. And we're going to see today four places in Scripture that talk specifically about believers getting a gift to serve in the body. If you've been in the United States in the last 100 years, uh, I think that these have been grossly misunderstood and misapplied. And I'm talking specifically about the charismatic movement that emphasized tongues as a gift and uh, maybe drew inappropriate inferences or took inappropriate uh, implications from the gift uh, theology. And this message isn't going to be necessarily to correct someone's theology but as it is to look and divide Scripture accurately to see what it says about the gifts that we have today. 
So that's part of what we'll see here in the goal. So let me read this source verse from 1 Corinthians 12. It says there's a variety of gifts. That makes sense, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. That doesn't mean just you. This is, and we're going to see it. One thing that I want you to take away from today is when you talk about spiritual gifts, the first thing that you should pop into your head is how do you serve the body? Not how do you serve yourself? Not how do you discipline yourself? But how are gifts, how is your gift used to serve God in the body? So let's look at some of these uh, goals that I want to talk about. Uh, a goal today is to gain a general awareness of spiritual gifts in Scripture. And we, are, we will see a somewhat comprehensive, at least locale, of where they're located in Scripture. So we'll see every place in Scripture today that deals with spiritual gifts. But more importantly, I want you to understand what your gift is and how, what your role is within the body. The third thing is just to know those locales, to know where the discussion of spiritual gifts is located in Scripture, so that when you're talking to people about it, or you're just wanting to see how it fits in your life and your role, you can go real. Uh, we want to understand the context in which the discussion about spiritual gifts occurs, because that's important. And then, uh, for a practical application, we want to be able to look at what this information means for the church today. And part of what that means is dividing bottom line truths about spiritual gifts from faulty assumption about spiritual gifts. And then, of course, all of the goal of knowledge is applications. So we want to understand the specific application for you based on understanding where it is. We just kind of talked about a review of what we've gone through this semester. Uh, and really, at the bottom line, the last sentence there is that, we, that God is our God, and we're called to worship and serve Him with the actions of our lives. And we do that through the use of spiritual gifts. And so let's, let's look at uh, this first question here on 8.2, which is what in the world are spiritual gifts? Here's this passage, one of the four places where uh, Scripture specifically talks about gifts, so here in Romans 12, and it says, For just as we have many members in one body, who are the members? Okay. In one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. So think about your physical body. All of us have a body. We've talked about that in this lesson. Uh, is the role of the nose, is the function of the nose different than the function of your toes? Are they both important to your body? Okay. What about your elbow? Is it important? Is your elbow as important as your stomach? They're both important. They have different roles and different functions. But just like our bodies, we have aches, we have pains. Sometimes we're missing body parts. Sometimes we break them. Uh, sometimes we throw them out of joint. They're disjointed. Uh, sometimes we're born without them. And just like our physical bodies, 
We aren't as effective as we could be as if our uh, members of our body are present, are active, are healthy, are engaged, and working properly. And that's the point that Paul's going to make here. He's saying here that we're all one body. Just like our bodies have individual parts and members, it's the same thing in our local body you know, or, in our, or in the big body. We all have a part to play. And because of that, think about this. Because of that, God gave you a gift. He made you a part of the body, and He gave you something by which to serve in that body. Why would God do that? Why does God give you a gift? To build up the body. Okay, yeah, that's, that's literally scripture. That's Ephesians 4. He gives us a gift so that we can work it out. And when the body is appropriately working, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body. Just like what you said, Russ. So let me ask you this. What if you're not using your gift? Stagnant. Still. The body suffers. It does. You think God gives those lightly? Do you think He just gave it to you hoping that you would use it? Or do you think that there's an expectation for believers to put their bodies and their gifts in service for Him? There is. There is an expectation of that. And he's, he doesn't give those so that we can sit on. Uh, you look at the parable of the talents. He gives people talents which in this form, in, in, in the context of the parable, is a currency. And what does the master expect the people to do with the talents while the master is away? Use them. To use them. Increase them. Does that, do all three of the people in that parable use them? Two of them do, one of them doesn't. He sits on it. He actually buries it in the ground. And what does Jesus call him, or the master call him when he comes back? He does. He says, you wicked and lazy slayer. You should have at least taken what I've given you and put it in the bank and I would have at least gotten interest off of it. My point that I'm trying to make to you is that Jesus, or God, or the Holy Spirit, all three of them, it says in Scripture, by the way, give us spiritual gifts. But we're given that gift so that we can be effective members in the body. Not so that we can sit on it. Because one day, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, we're all going to give an account of ourselves to him for the things that we've done in this body, whether good or beneficial or worthless. So let's do it. In order to do it, we have to understand that we have it and to understand where we fit in that body. That's why this whole series is on identity, so that we'll know who we are, we'll know how we're positioned, we'll know how we're armed, and we'll go forth and put it into service. So here it said, I put spiritual gifts are divine abilities, okay? Spiritual gifts are divine abilities, D-I-V-I-N-E, given to believers so that they may serve God and other believers. Spiritual gifts are divine abilities given to believers so that they may serve God and other believers. Who's absent in that statement? The individual. Okay, and remember this is a theme. Because I'm going to show you all the places in Scripture that talk about spiritual gifts. And I want you to find one where it says the spiritual gift is for the individual. I'm going to tell you, just a spoiler alert, there are none. 
But there are parts where Paul says, what good is it if you're serving only yourself? It's not good. So what do we see here in Ephesians 4, 7 through 16? Why do believers receive spiritual gifts? I'm going to read, I think that I just put 11 and 12 in here, but I want to read this 11 and 12 as a group, and then I want to look at this entire passage. So let's read 4, 11 through 12. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. What are all those? Those are all spiritual gifts. Uh, but those are a specific type of gift, okay? There's uh, leadership gifts, and those are our specific teaching gifts. For the equipping of the saints, who's a saint? So what? All right. So they're being equipped with this knowledge, with this education, with this with these abilities, for the work of service. They're equipping the saints so the saints can do service, so that the so that the body of Christ can be built up. So let's go to four eleven, and I want to read the whole thing here, and then we'll come back and answer this fill in the blank. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, until we attain to maturity, to be a mature man or a mature body, until we attain to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's saying until we all can reach the bar that he set, until we all attain to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love were to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head of the body, Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So Russ, you hit the nail on the head. Why did we receive gifts? To equip believers, this is your blank, to equip believers and to serve Jesus so that the body will grow. To equip believers and to serve Jesus so that the body will grow. What's another word for that growth? It's mature. Just like we have all in our lives grown from in infancy to adulthood, uh, we've grown. Our physical bodies have matured. Let me ask you something, though. Do all believers grow and mature spiritually throughout their lives? Well, I think all do. I don't think so either. Why don't they mature? Because they're not in the Word. They're not getting instruction. I think so. Alright, so lazy. Uh, no instruction. that most believers know that they're supposed to grow? 
Or that there's an expectation to grow and mature? I don't believe they all do. I don't think they do either. I don't think they understand. The Bible is not taught to a lot of believers in a lot of churches. Right. So a lot of my applications and goals are know and understand, and this is why. To know and understand the expectation. And here's what I mean by that. If you were like me, and I think a lot of people have been, at least at some point in their life, they didn't think there was anything else after putting your faith in Jesus. It's like, okay, I'm eternally secure now. I'm good. What does it matter? Whether I grow or mature doesn't matter because I have eternal life. The problem with that train of thought, and I'm talking to 20-year-old Adam and 25 and 30-year-old Adam, is that there's a lot of eyes and me's in that statement. And that's because I didn't understand that the body suffered if I wasn't active and engaging. If I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do, disciplining myself for the purpose of godliness, if I wasn't growing, and if I wasn't maturing spiritually, then what good would I be even if I had the desire? So there is an expectation, and that's what this passage actually just talked about. We're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. He set the example. We're supposed to be conformed to his image. That's what it means. The Christian life, the Christian growth, means being conformed to Christ's image. He set the bar. Now we're supposed to grow and we're supposed to mature. And you've already talked about it. Lisa mentioned they're not in the Word. That's important. The Word tells you what you're supposed to do to grow and mature. So how can you do that if you're not in it? How can you use your gift if you're not present? If you're not engaging with other believers? If you're not engaged in a local body? You can't. You can, Well, I'm not saying absolutely that you can't. You can still be active in your home, which is important. But we're part of a body, and we're designed to do ministry together, like Paige said, about to participate. So he says here in Ephesians 4, you get gifts so that you'll grow and mature, and so that the body will grow. And so that the body will grow and mature, really. So what are we supposed to do with our gifts? According here to 1 Peter 4. Let's see what he says about it. Peter says, the end of all things are near. When did the last day start? When Christ died. Yeah. Resurrection of Christ is really the start of the in, in, in last days. The end of all things is near. Therefore be a sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for who? One another. One another because love covers a multitude of sins. You're never going to find, by the way, a spiritual gift passage that doesn't deal with others which is a proof point, in my opinion. Keep fervent your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. And look at this. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. In this context, what is the manifold grace of God? So it has a part. It's the gift. 
He's saying, be, be good stewards with what I've given you. And what did he say right before this that we've been given? As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of that manifold grace. That's great news. He didn't have to give us a gift. We get to participate in his ministry. That's awesome. And someday if we're faithful to do it, he's going to reward us. And then he breaks up the gifts. He's doing a little, Peter's going to organize them for us here into two sections. He's going to do speaking gifts and serving gifts. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Why? So that in all things God may be glorified. Not the individual may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So to answer the question, what are we supposed to do with our gifts? We employ them in serving one another. To employ them in serving one another. Okay. So now we're starting to make tangible this concept of spiritual gifts. We know that part of our identity is that we get a gift. We've seen it here. Each one has received a special gift. We know that it's for the body so that it will grow and mature. Okay? We know why we have it. But why are they given? We've already answered part of it. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7, the source verse. There's varieties of gifts but the same spirit. There's varieties of ministries the same Lord. There are varieties of effects but the same God who works all things in all persons, but to each one has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This passage, you get a gift. All believers get this. We just saw it in Peter, as each one has received a special gift. What are they for? Yeah. The gifts help you do the ministries. When you're effective in your ministry, it produces the desired effects, which we know is growth and maturity in the body. And we get them all. I think this is the Holy Spirit, this is Jesus, this is God, which is confirmed in other places in Scripture that we get our gifts from all of them. So you get gifts to do the ministries. Effective ministries bring about desired effects. And those effects are for the common good. It's for the body, not the individual. So, I have a difficult time, I'm just going to be honest with you, with people who uh, say that if you don't have the gift of tongues, that you're, not, that you're not saved. That's not what this is about. Is the gift, what are the spiritual gifts for anyway? Yeah, the, the Holy Spirit promotes God. The Holy Spirit is working behind the scenes to promote Jesus. Not to promote self. It's for the growth of the body and not the glorification of the individual. That's Paul's entire point in 1 Corinthians 13 and 14. 
So let's talk about some of this. Why are they given? For the common good. Okay? Why are spiritual gifts given? They're given for the common good. Spiritual gifts exist for the edification of the body of believers. What in the world is edification? <laughs> we don't say that word in 2022. What does it mean to edify? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's to build them up, uh, which is what we're talking about. We're talking about the growth and maturity of the body. So let's put this into practical application. What are you doing when you admonish your children? Are you edifying them? Yeah. Don't they need to know what stuff is going to harm them and what stuff is going to benefit them? That's important to that child that they know that so that they don't do stupid things later. Um, why, does, why do we have a nursery ministry? Why does it matter that there are men and women back there with little babies? Because they're good at it. Okay, so they might, they, hopefully they are. Hopefully they're good at it. Uh, but I'm just talking about from a practical standpoint in the body, why does it matter? Because they're our future. Okay, so they are our future. And they need to be brought up right to begin with. Okay, so they do. Once the moms and dads go to church. There it is. Okay, so we have a, uh, I think, a pretty faithful member in our body with a gift of teaching. <laughs> with the gift of teaching. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think he's one of the best in the world. And so his teaching is for himself. It's for the body. Can the moms and dads be built up? Can they be edified if they're having to tend to their infant baby and their two-year-old son and their four-year-old daughter and their eight-year-old son at the same time? No. So we have a program or a system in place for that, which by the way fits lots of different spiritual gifts, which we're going to see here in a minute. There's the gifts of service or helps, which is stuff that's behind the scenes. So there are people in this body with the gift of helps or the gift of service who are behind the scenes doing ministry by taking those children so that the parents can be built up, so that they can bring the desired effects. Those parents take that knowledge, apply it in their lives, which is going to help bring that child up. Okay? Rest you in the sound booth, sometimes on Sundays. Is it important that we have somebody who's willing to help with the sound? It is. That ties into everything, to our, our YouTube feed, to our Facebook feed. There are people in Australia and people in Austria or people in Africa or wherever that are benefiting from that service. Because they're being equipped, they're being edified, they're being built up. Um, and you can take, and we're going to see something that's going to kind of bring this whole point home at the end of this lesson. But those are just microcosms of how people being faithful to show up and people being faithful to use their gift in the body so that the body is built up. What if we didn't have anybody that could teach? 
What if we didn't have anybody uh, to, with the gift of helps? And there's lots of there's lots there's there's tons of gifts, and they're not all just programmatic. The gift of mercy. I think my oldest daughter has the gift of mercy. That's a spiritual gift that God has given because there are people in this body who need someone to be merciful with them, who need to do life with them, who need to take them when they're they feel ostracized and go be with that person and bring them in. That's important because it builds the body up. So we're going to see this whole list of, uh, of gifts and we're going to organize them. Uh, and we're going to deal with some difficult questions. I don't have all the answers. I'll just say that already because there are only four you know, general areas in Scripture that deal with spiritual gifts. So I may not know all the answers and if you have questions, ask. If I don't know, I'll say I don't know. But here are 18, at least 18 concrete gifts that are mentioned in Scripture, okay? Let's go through them. Apostles, prophets, or the gift of prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discernment, healing, miracles, tongues or languages, as we'll see, interpretation, evangelism, Pastor, shepherd, or elder teacher. Uh, service helps. Teaching, separate from pastor, teacher, or elder teacher. Giving. Leadership administration. Mercy. Faith. And exhortation. So this is just a bullet point list, and we're actually going to go through these one by one here in a little bit. But these are ones that are mentioned directly in Scripture. There's several different ways of organizing these gifts. Uh, and it's important to organize it because how many of you guys know somebody with the gift of healing? I don't. How many of you guys know somebody with the gift of miracles? Which is uh, making something happen or something happening through you that goes against the laws of nature. I don't. How many of you guys know somebody with the gift of interpretation? I don't. So here's what we're going to talk about. If what we're saying is true and that God has given each one of us a gifts and these gifts are mentioned in Scripture, where are they? Where are they in the body? Well, let's organize them and we'll talk about it as we do. The first method is we're going to organize them by their extent and duration. Okay? There are three views pertaining to this. This is just a way to organize them. Uh, and some people do this way, by the way. They say that all of the gifts are for today, which I don't think is true, just based on some of those ones that we just saw. But some people say that all are as practical and as relevant today as they were at the foundation of the church, which those people would have to say that healing and miracles is just as prevalent as evangelism, teaching, exhortation, I just don't see that being the case. Because if there are, we need to get uh, those people into hospitals. Right? And they need to be serving <laughs> in hospitals. But I don't know of anybody that's doing that in the world. Okay? So I don't think that can be the case. Here's one. It says that some of the gifts are for today. That not all of them, but only some of them. 
that some were temporary and that some were permanent. That's the one we're going to go with. Because it can't be seen that none of them are gifts for today. We've already seen passages of Scripture that say that you think God wants His body or wants His body to be built up, to grow, to mature, and to be effective? He does, and because He has, He's given us gifts. So I don't see how it can be A or C. We're not in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit just comes upon people that God's wanting to use for a specific time. We know for a fact from New Testament Scripture that we all receive a special gift. We know that the, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in us who we have from God that we're not our own, our own because we've been bought with a price. So we're to glorify God in our bodies. So we're going to say that our gifts are for today and that some are temporary and some are or were temporary and some are permanent. So let's talk about their service type or class, which we've seen here in First Peter. Some are speaking gifts. I think JB refers to these as upfront gifts. What, what would some of the uh, speaking gifts be? Teaching. Teaching. Yeah. You're talking teach. Yeah. What else? Maybe evangelism. Yeah, I think so. I think evangelism, you have to be able to. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ is what it says in Romans 10 17. Uh, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who said he has eternal life is not coming to judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Uh, so, yeah, I think so. I think evangelism is a speaking gift. What about exhortation? The, what, can someone tell me what that one is? You can cheat and look ahead if you want. But, yeah, go ahead, Encouragement? Yeah. It can be a, a, the positive side is encouragement of exhortation. The negative side of uh, exhortation is admonishment. People sometimes need to be told what they're doing wrong just as much as they need to be encouraged towards what they're doing right. Okay? That's a speaking gift. Because you have to, you know, that's something that involves face-to-face -face interaction or communication or using your term. Okay, B is serving gifts. He said whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. These are serving gifts, okay? By the way, I, I want to address that. I want to address this, this little passage in verse 11. If someone in the body has a speaking gift, what should they be speaking? The the will of God. The word of God. What, what is it? The sure. will of God. Yeah, the, the will and the word of God. If someone is speaking in the body, they should be teaching the word of God. And that applies through all the speaking gifts. If they're exhorting, they should be exhorting the Word of God or based on the Word of God. If they are evangelizing, they should be giving out the Word of God. Not man-made logic. Not their opinions on questionable matters. Was it a whale or was it a fish? That's not evangelism. And by the way, it's not the point of Jonah. You know, it's not, you're not supposed to get into the weeds when you have a speaking gift on the gap theory. On whether or not there's a gap in Genesis 1 and 2. 
or whether or not there are two creations. When you're teaching, you're teaching the Word of God. The goal is the edification of the body, not to promote your theories. Okay? Which is why, as a body, we have to be built up enough uh, to hold our speakers accountable. And I think we do, is to learn Bible, by the way. Okay? <clears throat> Serving deals with the power of God. And what is the result? Well, he says here in verse 11, so that in all things God may be glorified. So the result is glorification. I, I think I just, <laughs> I think I was supposed to remove that glorifying. The result is glorification through the edification of the church. So remember, a theme of today is who is glorified by gifts? God. And who are they for? The body. When the body is served, God is glorified. Okay? Not the individual. Not the individual. Three, organization of gifts by their duration and type. And before we get into this, here, I'm just going to, I want, I want, so that you can follow along, uh, we're going to try to peel this apart. The, the, the first thing is that we're going to have temporary and we're going to have permanent. Okay? Under temporary, we are going to have another breakdown of sign gifts and foundational Yes. You don't have to write this in right now. We'll come to it in a minute. But as we go, I want you to have the outline in your head clear. We're going to try to rightly divide Scripture here and make sense of it. Of spiritual gifts, there are two main types. Temporary and permanent. Of the temporaries, we're going to talk about sign gifts and what that means and foundational gifts and what that means. Okay? The first thing is temporary gifts. These were gifts that were used and needed until the canon of Scripture was complete. Essentially what we're saying is that these gifts were needed until God's Word could be written out in a book. Or in letters. Did the uh, did the first century Christians? Well, let's not even say first century. Did people in AD seventy five have the New Testament? They had parts of stuff that had been written. Maybe if they were lucky, they had seen maybe some of Paul's letters. Uh, what about people in AD ninety? They had more of it, but it still hadn't been confirmed, or it still hadn't been all put together yet. So in order for those people, and really for the next couple of centuries, in order for them to hear the Word of God, there needed to be gifts. People needed to have different types of gifts that that could be communicated. What is the most obvious form of communication? Yeah, it's with your mouth. 
if you're going to communicate to another tribe in another country, what do you need to be able to do? You needed to be able to speak that language. How in the world could you do that in your lifetime? They didn't have the internet. They didn't have textbooks or apps that taught you how to teach other languages. So what did God do? He gave a gift of tongues so that somebody could go to another country or another region or another place and supernaturally or divinely speak their language. You think Satan wanted to use that? Do you think Satan wanted to use the fact that people had these gifts against them? What is a way that he might do that? Think, put yourself in first century, second century Middle East. You're in a church, a little body of believers. And it's a real thing that people have this gift of tongues. And all of a sudden somebody comes into your assembly and starts making sounds that you're not familiar with, but evidently means something. You think Satan could use that for his advantage? I think so. Because you don't know any better. God made a provision for that. Everybody who spoke in tongues had to have what? An interpreter. An interpreter. There's an authentication, if you will. They had to authenticate that message, which is why it was important. And why it's a prerequisite that if somebody's going to speak tongues in a body, that there needs to be an interpreter. It's not that it's foolproof, because you can still be a creative shyster and make that word. But the word is in control. Okay, so there are sign gifts. That's what I was just talking about. Under temporary, the little I there is sign. The little Roman number one is sign gifts. These were given to authenticate the message and the messenger until this canon of scripture was complete. So let's talk about what some of these sign gifts were. One is healing. The apostles were literally healing people. This is the ability to heal diseases, to restore health immediately. Uh, it was instantaneous and permanent, by the way. And it wasn't always by the faith of the person, but it authenticated the message and the messenger. And I put in here, it's important to know that it's not God's will that every person be healed, by the way, even by people with the gift of healing. James 5.13 talks about the anointing by elders, that if their sickness was because of sin, that they should deal with it with the elders. And if the sickness was because of their sin, that they would be restored. I don't think the gift of healing is around anymore today. But James was probably the first New Testament book written. B, another sign gift was miracles. In 1 Corinthians 12, 10, it mentions a, war, a wonder, a work of power. And this is literally the ability to disrupt, manipulate, or alter God's natural law. And then in verse 12, it talks, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, talks about, I think that's actually speaking first Corinthians said that signs of a true apostle were performed. He's talking about miracles. 
That was a sign gift used to authenticate a person or his message. The next one is tongues. And I don't want to get heavily in the weeds here uh, just because of time, but let's talk about it if you have questions. Tongues is the ability to speak a language that you do not know. If someone says that they have the gift of tongues, it ought to be a language that is spoken. And if they have that gift, then they ought not to be in the United States. If someone has the gift of tongues and that tongue is French, they need to be in France. Because that's what their gift is for. It's an unlearned, but actual spoken language. We see in Acts 2 and 26, and 1 Corinthians 13 14, it's a known language. B, not everyone has the gift of tongues, nor should they. Based on what we've seen today, and what we've read in Scripture about spiritual gifts, why shouldn't everybody have tongues? Too easily manipulated. Okay, that's part of it. <clears throat> you don't need everyone with the same gift. Bingo! As I look at you guys, I'm glad that you're all not one a set of one body part. You'd all look really weird. And you would be ineffective, by the way. The gift that he's given to each one of us is not tongues. So how in the world could that be a requirement for someone's salvation? Or how in the world could that be a gauge of someone's spirituality? That drives me bananas. And we ought to get mad about it. Because what that does to people is it makes them question their salvation and it makes them feel like they're not worthy to serve in the body. And that's not what Scripture says. Scripture says that each one is given a gift. It, and it does. It promotes dishonesty. Because let's just say that you are a believer and you want to serve, but you can't speak tongues unless, or the people in your body say that you can't be. You may be not even a believer, much less have the ability to serve in the body if you don't speak tongues. That's garbage. See, there is a distinction between the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is the believer's placement into union with Christ, as we've seen earlier in this series, when they are placed in the body. Gifts do not make a believer spiritual, and spiritual gifts do not make a person serve. Does that make sense? How many of you guys have a gift? If you've believed, you have a gift. How many of you have always used that gift in the body? Just because you have a spiritual gift doesn't mean that you will serve. Spirituality and maturity come over time. Paul tells the Corinthians they all have gifts, but that they're really that they're all immature. That's what he tells them. Which is funny, because most people who cram tongues down your throat use it as a way to prove spiritual maturity. And Paul uses the entire chapters of 12, 13, and 14 to say even if you have tongues, but you don't use it right, or you don't have love, you have nothing. It's okay to desire those gifts. <coughs> But that's not what their purpose is for. The purpose of the sign gifts were to authenticate the message and the messenger. The gift of tongues was assigned to unbelieving Israel in Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, when believers stood up and spoke in languages, it was a sign to Israel and unbelieving Jews. 
You remember at the day of Pentecost? Not only did those people who were visiting hear somebody speaking in their own language, they heard it in their own dialect. That'd be like, you know, if you're from Alabama and you go to Pentecost, you didn't just hear them speaking English, you heard them speaking Southern English in your own dialect. That's crazy. That was a sign to them. This is authentic. This is it. E, it was a means for evangelism. It was not self-edification. I know I'm going to step on some toes here, and that's not my intention, but it wasn't a fair language either. It had a specific purpose, a very specific reason. The gospel message convicted unbelieving Jews of their action and unbelief. F. There isn't a place in Scripture that's a prayer language or a place where it's self-edification. And if I'm wrong, and I'm not appropriately giving out the Word of God, then please correct me. D. Interpretation. Interpretation was the ability to interpret a language. And as we've already seen, it was to authenticate the message and the messenger. Okay. Those gifts were? And sign gifts, okay? Uh, there, in case some of you are wondering, Russ and I talked about this a few weeks ago. Paul says, if there are tongues, they will cease. I think that's where we're at. Okay? The second part is foundational gifts. Foundational gifts are given to establish the church and to show authority. They're given to establish the church and to show authority. Keep in mind, the church hasn't always been around. What was the, what was God's quote-unquote religion, if you want to use that word, before Jesus? It was Judaism, wasn't it? Yeah. Isn't it the law? Okay. Where were all the churches? They hadn't been established. Okay, so some of these gifts are foundational. The first one, they were to establish the church and show authority. The first one is an apostle. The apostles were sent with authority, different from a disciple. Most people don't make a distinction between an apostle and a disciple. But almost every apostle had a supernatural ability or one of these foundational or sign gifts that we're talking about. <coughs> it was the foremost position in the body of Christ, and it came with authority. In order to be apostle, there were criteria. The first one was that you had to see the risen Christ. The risen Christ. Okay? What about Paul? Paul, Paul, wasn't, Paul wasn't with Jesus. Okay, when? What, when? Okay, so yeah, Paul saw him on the road to Damascus. And then he disappeared and went into the wilderness. Then he went for, trained. Yeah, for years. But yeah, for probably three years. Paul went and got discipled by Jesus. <coughs> he says he didn't receive his gospel or his information from man, but from Jesus. And he had to be appointed by Christ in 1 Corinthians 14. Okay? So the first foundational gift so that the church could be built was apostles, and they were sent forth with authority. <coughs> B is prophecy. 
Now, there are different places in Scripture where prophecy can mean different things. But for the most part, <coughs> when we talk about prophecy, we're talking about prophets. These are people who are get direct revelation from God, and they give that direct revelation from God. And often, a prophet will say, Thus says the Lord. This is dangerous. If somebody says that they are a prophet today, what are they saying? They're saying that they're <coughs> excuse me, getting direct revelation from God. <coughs> Spencer, what do you have there? Here you go. I think that's what it is. It's dry. I think that's what it is. I started swallowing some of that dry spit. I think it's so good. I want to wait for Spencer to get back. <coughs> Any thoughts so far about any of the stuff we talked about? I was sick last week, so I don't know if I'm drinking or anything. before anybody. Joseph Smith saw a direct revelation to He sure did. He saw so something. Anyways. He saw so something. Anyways. I thought that was your drink, didn't it? Oh, Rance! God, I'm falling. I had my own drink. How embarrassing. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll take care of you. Are. I got embarrassed as I was speaking. I got, thing. I got embarrassed from coughing, I didn't think about it. Okay. I feel better. So yeah, I want us to talk about prophecy because there are people today who say that they're prophets. What was the uh, under Jewish law? What was the penalty for a false prophet? Yeah. It was death. That's dangerous. And how many times did you have to be wrong? Once, just once. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's easy to be a prophet these days. Age. You can make many prophecies, and if one comes right, boy, you're a prophet. So they say. Is there a is there any predominant religion today uh, that gives out the word of God different than what's in Scripture? They may not alter the word, but on the same level as the word of God. Several of them. Let's talk about it because it's important. What's the main one? Did you guys know that whatever the Pope says is on the same authority with Scripture and God? If it's in a papal encyclical and he sends it around, it's to be viewed at as on the same level as God. Because they believe that their popes are chosen by the Holy Spirit to conclave. For that reason, by the way. That's not what Scripture says. Um, as you mentioned, there are other cults that do the same thing. It's important to remember someone with a speaking gift is to give out what? <clears throat> the word of God. Not the word of man, not the word of culture, not the word of society. 
God's word does not change. He's from everlasting to everlasting. And he does not change with culture and society. His word stands forever. But unfortunately, man wants to change what God has said because of culture and society. <coughs> so don't ever waver on that. See wisdom, word of wisdom. And this is really interesting. I, this was an interesting study for these next two especially. There's, the only place is mentioned is 1 Corinthians 12. And there's not really any explanation. It's just kind of in a list of things. And so the best that we can tell is direct revelation from God that would help somebody make a decision or apply truth. Uh, same thing with word of knowledge. Same place. The best that we can tell is some kind of revelation from God for a specific context or situation. And then uh, the last one is discernment. Mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12.10 and 14.29. And the best that we can tell, this is the ability to determine if a person uh, or if a teaching or if knowledge was a representation of the living God. Now, are you saying these last three are still in play? I'm not. These are still foundational. Okay. Or contemporary gifts. And I'm also saying the best we can tell. These are temp foundational. Okay. But I still hear discernment. Popular. Well, word of wisdom a lot. I hear word of wisdom a lot and word of knowledge yeah. on TV. Yeah. Those those gifts are still often used today. As Russ mentioned earlier, they're also easily manipulative. Because if someone has the word of wisdom that's from God, how can you go against what they're saying? Or if someone has the word of uh, knowledge from God, how can you stand against them? And so those ones are dangerous. And, and, and just because a gift is dangerous doesn't mean it's not a gift. But those ones, you can easily see that they were foundational in building the church. There just had to be people to do the work. In order for people to do the work to build the church, they had to have wisdom, knowledge, and discernment. Well, we're called to have all of those things we to a certain degree ever believer it is. That's exactly right. And I'm going to make a point later uh, with that same mindset about just because something's not your gift, most of them we're still called to use in the body, even if it's not your gift, by the way. But you're right. There's a difference between having wisdom that's acquired through discipline, uh, whether that's hearing, applying, listening, teaching, studying, and something that is supernaturally imparted to you, which is what the idea is between these three, that people were supernaturally imparted with wisdom, knowledge, and discernment in order that the church be built. Okay? So let's get into the ones that we know and that we can see today which are now the permanent gifts. These are gifts that have been given throughout the history of the church and that we can see. First one is one of my favorite ones. It's evangelism. And the gift of evangelism provides the believer with strength and desire to effectively share the good news, love of Jesus with unbelievers. You do not evangelize believers. 
They've already heard and believed. So evangelism is for people who want to take the gospel message to unbelievers, and they're comfortable doing that. Here are some characteristics. And again, I want to say this isn't a science. Okay, There's no textbook, including the Bible, that gives you a definition for each one of these gifts. But uh, just through appropriate application of Scripture, we can make some of these, or we can identify some of these characteristics. Number one, they have a desire to see people saved. They have an understanding of the gospel message, and they can clearly present it. And four, is people will respond. It may not be immediate, but God didn't give somebody a gift that they weren't good at and couldn't be effectual with. I've seen this in action. I believe that one of the missionaries that we support, Alan Campbell, has the gift of evangelism. I did evangelism with him, and it's clear that he is gifted in that way. I saw things that I've never seen before. It was, it was, I wish I would have had a GoPro or something on. Um, he's really good at it, partially because he's worked so hard at it, but also because it's his gifting. Two, pastor teacher or elder teacher. The gift of pastor teacher enables the believer to publicly teach the word of God in the body. And I would also add to that, has a desire to shepherd the body. Okay? Because really, the, 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 that part's not in there, but it, it should be. I don't know why I didn't put it in there. When I say shepherd the body, what, what do I mean? Lead them. Lead, leadership is an aspect of it. Paige, what is it? Protecting, Protecting the body. From what? Outside influence. That's not, that's not biblical. Teaching. From unbiblical teaching? From unbiblical influence? Uh, what about anything else that's a danger to the body? Infighting. Lots of things. That is it. What do, you call that? What do they call it? That's not the right word. No, it's the right word. Infighting. It can look like dissensions, factions, uh, any of that stuff. Does that happen in a body? Yes. It happens. That's part of it. How do you say country club? Yeah. Was that church? Yeah, country club. Don't church clubs? I don't. I mean, there's churches today that still have a country club mentality for sure. But in a body, uh, the gift of elder or overseer, if you will, overseer teacher, has the ability to work in those situations and to help give wisdom and help guide those. In 2 Timothy 2.24, I think that's what he has in mind. He says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. That's what the idea of an overseer or an elder shepherd is doing. Because it's inevitable. In a body, there's going to be conflict, and that's okay. Even in some cases, it's necessary. But how you go about that conflict determines the effectiveness of the relationships in the body. So pastor, elder shepherd, uh, teacher shepherd, elder teacher, however you want to say it, that's what that one's talking about. Three, this is in my opinion the most important one, is service and helps. <laughs> you can't say that we're all in this together and not expect us to help one another. No ministry is accomplished by one person, by the way. 
even in this room, somebody, I don't know who put that camera up. I don't know who brought this in, this recorder. I don't know who hung this or put these markers in here. I don't know who gave the money to build this room. <laughs> you know, there's so many different aspects of our gifts that allow even small, simple ministries to happen. You know, let's talk about this one. The gift of service helps allow you to see things that need to be done and encourage other members of the body to grow in their service. Often these tasks are overlooked by others. And I would say especially by those in leadership. And that's okay. Uh, because these people don't want to be up front. They would rather be behind the scenes. And that's okay. And uh, they feel needed as they relieve others of tasks that are burdening them. Assuming the role of the servant will bring much joy, will build up the body of Christ. I think my dad has this gift. He doesn't like to be in front of people. I remember at the church I was growing up, we had a huge pageant. People from all over the world would come to it, Enid. And he always wanted to be on the behind-the-scenes crew. You know, the people that were doing the dry ice or the people that helped build the stage or something like that. That's a, that's a service or helps. Forest teaching. Uh, the gift of teaching gives the believer the ability to share scriptural knowledge with members of the body. It could be children. It could be adults. Uh, teaching will aid in the growth and health of the body. They have the ability to clearly communicate God's truth and to help make application. I will say this about teaching. In order, think about this last, this last statement. The ability to clearly communicate God's truth and to help make application. What's a prerequisite to that ability? If you're gonna know it, what had you better like? You better love to study. If you got a teacher that's teaching you and you ask him, hey, you know, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? And they say, well, I'm just going to tell you what I think. And you say, okay, where'd you get it? I don't know. I just thought about it. And that's not what a teacher does. A teacher better loves studying uh, a lot more than they love talking because one's not effective without the other. Uh, you know, this is just a teaching was on my spiritual gift inventory was number three since so it wasn't one of my top. But even so, for every single one of these lessons, I would estimate that there's probably eight to somewhere between eight to I don't know, 12 hours that go into studying, reading, writing, so that I can clearly communicate, or to the best of my ability, clearly communicate God's truth. Uh, JB, sometimes asking about his reading. Asking about his, I think he's talked about it in our Thursday morning men's group, but sometimes asking what his reading plans are. He has like five reading plans a day that he goes through. That's necessary and part of what makes him great. Or not him great. It's what makes his teaching great. Five is exhortation. I think you're great, JB. Five is exhortation. Uh, the gift of exhortation will allow you to speak words of comfort, encouragement, admonition, and counsel to members of the body in such a way that they'll be strengthened and built up. Uh, Ryan Warwick, who's on our board, has this gift. It's what makes him. It's also what makes him a great junior high principal, or when he was a junior high principal, because <laughs> there's a lot of exhortation and admonition that goes into that. Uh, giving. This is a big one. Is this, a, is this a big thing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, the whole book of Philippians is based on this gift. 
The gift of giving will allow you to give liberally, consistently, and sacrificially of your treasure and time. As you give, you'll experience much joy and satisfaction. I don't know who it is because I can't figure out who's doing it, but either my mom or dad has this one too. Um, a lot of people, I think, in our body have it. But you think about, like, I, I like the sacrificially part of this because, like, when Paul is in St. Corinthians, so he's writing the Corinthians, and he's talking about the churches in Macedonia, which would be Philippi and Thessalonica, and he says, they give, or they gave even above and beyond what they were able. That's sacrificial giving. Uh, Lance Barrick always says, give until it hurts. Because that's sacrificial giving. People that have that gift don't have any problem with that. And by the way, is there a principle in Scripture that you reap what you sow? <laughs> so if givers are faithfully giving, what might they expect? <clears throat> to give back. You cannot outgive God. So they're going to give back for sure, but what might they expect in order to do that? Maybe the Lord will make sure they have. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. Uh, people who give often have the means to give, and that's not a uh, coincidence. They've probably given their entire life. There's a principle in Scripture that's faithful in little, faithful in much. If you're faithful to give a little over time and sacrificially, the Lord's going to bless that. Because that is a principle in Scripture that you reap what you sow. And also, He's not going to give somebody the supernatural, remember, the supernatural gift of giving to someone who's not giving or doesn't want to do it. They're probably going to have that as part of their makeup. I don't have that. <laughs> I wish I did, but I don't. I don't have it. I'll be honest with you, I struggle with that. I struggle with wanting to give, with a heart to give. A lot of times I give because I feel like I have to, not because I want to. But we try to be as faithful as we can. Seven is leadership and administration. I think Brandy has this one. I think Paige has this one. The gift of administer leadership administration will allow you to be a goal setter and leader. Uh, others will look to you for guidance and direction. This gift will benefit you in understanding and setting goals for various groups and organizations. It will give you direction in making plans to achieve those goals. I put in parentheses, Hunter definitely has this one too. You'll be able to plan programming, work with facts, and see that goals and ideas are accomplished. Um, I can't overstate this, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to try my best not to exaggerate this because she's my wife. But I wish that everybody could see what I see. The amount of time, effort, and energy that people with this gift put into their programs and services. I, I lost my wife, essentially, <laughs> when she became children's director. Because all evening, she's on the phone. She's talking to her team leaders. She's talking to, uh, she's dealing with problems in the nursery. Problems, not so much the nursery anymore because Jessica's helping her now, but uh, in the children's ministry. Planning BBS, planning uh, the children's service, planning Easter celebration. Doing all this stuff that takes, by the way, about 80 people with service and helps for every single thing that she does. And that takes a lot of communication, text messages, emails, you know, budget conversations, all that type of stuff. 
I didn't understand what this one was really until she took that job. Jillian has mercy. I mentioned that earlier. The gift of mercy allows you to reach out to people who are in need, especially the rejected or the ostracized. Your words of care and concern, your actions, show undeserved aid and compassion to those who are in need. Your actions always seem to come at the right time. The things that you do allow these people to see the love of Christ in you and through you. Uh, this is something that we have more than one of Jillian's teachers come to us and say, yeah, Jillian is just so good. When there's a kid who is in class or in Sunday school that's new and not part of the group, she's always the first person to go over to them and say, hey, why don't you come you know, do something? That's a, that's a gift. And the body needs that. Because there are people in the body who want to be a part of something. Or they need people to connect with, or they need people to engage with. And we need people that can see that and recognize that so they can reach out to them. Uh, even this week, Paige sent a text and said, hey, there's somebody that's new over here. It might be helpful if you guys come over and say hi to them and introduce them to the body. That's mercy. She recognized a need. Here's a family that's coming. They're new. Her husband's coming for the first time. Come and say hi to them. That's a big deal. This is my next one is my number one is faith. This is, uh, this is what I've scored the strongest on. And uh, this isn't talking about uh, eternal life salvation faith. The type of faith that gives you eternal life salvation. This is Christian life faith. This allows you to take God at His word and to have the ability to trust Him in unusual ways. And I want to address this for a second because <clears throat> I think that sometimes this is misunderstood. We're in need of a building. You're in hallways. You can't even leave because there's people in the vestibules and hallways. Having faith that we're going to get a new building, that God is going to provide the means for that, doesn't mean that I blindly say we're going to get a new building. Having faith is saying that I'm going to trust God that however He deems necessary, He's going to solve this issue. It doesn't have to be a, it doesn't mean that I say, oh yeah, we're gonna have a building and it's gonna be right out there. It's not faith. You know, it's not Babe Ruth calling his shot and saying, I'm about to go hit a home run out in left field. This is saying that I'm gonna trust God in this situation and that by his means and his will this is going to be accomplished. And having that type of faith uh, is very beneficial in the body. And this isn't something that I understood until the last 10 years or so because this was one of my strengths is how many people struggle with doubt. How many people deal uh, with anxiety about the future, about whether or not the Bible's true, about whether or not God keeps his promises, about whether or not things are going to work out, about whether or not eternity is a real thing. And people with faith are in the body to help that. So I think that's what it is. One of my seminary professors from Southern wrote a book called Spiritual Gifts. And even though uh, some of his theology we would disagree with, this is from, I wrote, put this excerpt in here from his book because I think it's phenomenal. Because it brings everything home. When pastors prepare sermons, they express their love for the flock. Because remember, our gifts are to serve who? The body. You're called to freedom. Don't let your freedom turn into an opportunity for the flesh, but to love, serve one another. When pastors prepare sermons, they express their love for the flock. 
The person who works on the sound in the building does, show to sh does so to show love to the flock. When we meet with others and encourage them or admonish them, we show our love for them. None of us can do alone what the body of Christ can do together. I want to pause there. In the body, who's more important? Russ in the sound booth or JB on stage? They're equal. If God wanted JB to be the be-all, end-all for this body, he would have given him every single spiritual gift. But he didn't. JB is a faithful and disciplined member of our body. And he carries his ministry out well, and we should offer him. But your ministry in this body is just as important as to its effectiveness. For this reason, none of us can do it alone what the body of Christ can do together. We need the whole body to show this kind of concern for others. This isn't just the task of elders or pastors, but the ministry description for each one of us. The needs are too great to be simply met by one small group of people. If our churches show this kind of love and concern for one another, they will be built up and mature. At the same time, we will have an influence on unbelievers, especially those with evangelism. People are hungry for this kind of love and for this kind of caring. We ought not to be thinking when we join together as a congregation, are people here loving me this way? Are my needs being met? We should be thinking instead, am I loving people like that? Am I reaching out to the hurting like somebody with mercy? Am I rejoicing with those who rejoice? Spiritual gifts are exercised when we sacrifice ourselves for the sake of others, when we love others for Christ's sake. That's, a, that's from Thomas Schreiner in his book, His Spiritual Gifts. It's a fantastic book on spiritual gifts. And that's true. All, all of this is spot on, in my opinion. And as part of our identity as believers, we weren't given a gift so that we could sit on it. We were given a gift so that we could put it into practice. So obviously, the practical application for you needs to be, number one, find out your spiritual gift. If you don't know what it is, uh, try serving. The church does have a spiritual gift inventory. It's not a science, it may, it, but it will help you. It will help guide you, at least in the right direction, of some places to start. Uh, but at the end of the day, when we stand before Jesus, what do we want to hear him say? Well done. Well done what? Good and faithful servant. And we won't have an excuse in that moment. We won't be able to say to Jesus, I didn't know what to do. Because he's given you what? He's given you the tool. At least one. He's giving you at least one tool to use. And all we have to do is be faithful to use it. Well done, good, and faithful. It has nothing to do with your eternal life salvation. Okay? We gain eternal life by faith in Christ. We gain rewards 
at the judgment seat of Christ by our faithfulness. That's the whole point of the parable of the talents and the parable of the means. In both of those instances, we use what God has given us in His service so that when He comes back, we can say, I did my best with what I had. He doesn't require productivity. He requires faithfulness. He didn't set the bar up high so that nobody could reach it. He gave everybody a gift so that they could use it. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be handsome. You don't have to be a good speaker. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be any of that stuff. Because by faith, you've gotten a spiritual gift. And that is enough for him. In his eyes, you have what you need to be successful in his body. All that he asks from of us is that we go and use it. Because someday we're not going to be in the church age anymore. Someday this age, these last days, the master will return. And when he does, he's going to call an account. He's going to say, what'd you do? Let's talk about it. And maybe even he'll show us the fruit of our labor, which would be very rewarding. But it's not going to happen if we're not faithful. And part of and that doesn't happen, in, I think, at large in 2022, because Christians have lost sight of who we are as individuals and as people. As new creations in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, and he's given us a gift by which to serve. But because of the fallen world system, and because of our flesh, and it's pulled towards that system, and because Satan knows what we're talking about right now, and he's laid out these snares and traps to ensnare us, we don't, we're distracted. Uh, we don't buy into the message. And that's led us to where today most people don't even know. They're not even aware of who they are in Christ. They don't know the power that they have. They don't know that they don't have to succumb to the power of the flesh, but they can live in the power of the Holy Spirit and put their gift in the service. So the newness of life is always going to have an identity point to it. And part of your identity in Christ is that you have a gift. And the only thing that's required of us is that we put it into service for Him. So summary, spiritual gifts are divine abilities. That's funny to think about. We didn't talk about it. It's literally, you're a superhero. <laughs> you have a supernatural ability. That is so cool. We watch those Marvel movies, and each one of these guys has an individual power. So do you. The gift of mercy is your power. The gift of exhortation may be your power. Faith, service, whatever it is, you have a power. And that's to serve God and other believers, not yourself. Because the purpose of spiritual gifts is to edify or to build up the body, which is what that word means, to build up, grow, or strengthen. We've seen that there are at least 18 spiritual gifts mentioned in Scripture, and it appears that at least nine of them are in play today. You probably have one of those nine. At least one of them. Some people have multiple. I think Paul had almost every one of them. Application is pretty straightforward. Understand uh, what the gifts are in Scripture. Understand their purpose. Use them. And then no matter, here's something, no matter what your position is on gifts, even if you in this room or people that are watching have a different position on what we've taught about gifts, just use them faithfully. And use them in accordance with what the Bible says. 
That's the key. Someday, I hope not, but the way that this world is going, some of those gifts may need to come back out. Because I think we're getting pretty close to a time when the foundation's gonna crumble. And maybe people are gonna need to hear the word of their language. I don't know that for a fact, but just because they have ceased doesn't mean that there's not gonna be a time for them again. Um, but if we're faithful to use the ones that we have now, then they should be. So, as each one has received a special gift, employ it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God.